good to be with you all. Second Sunday of Advent and this glorious Sunday morning in South Florida. From our revised common lectionary for today, we find ourselves in Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul had not visited the church in Rome prior to writing his epistle to the Romans. He had wanted to visit them for some time. In Romans, we find Paul's most comprehensive explanation. Thankfully, the teachings were not only for the sake of explaining Christian theology, writing to the Roman church and to us, the apostle also provides practical instructions in life and the various challenges we face together. Today, we pick up in chapter 15, beginning with verse 4 through verse 13. Listen for the word of the Lord. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you, for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God, in order that he promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles, and sing praises to you. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and that all the peoples praise him. And again Isaiah says, The shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the word of God for the people of God. The year was 1818, and was the priest in the little village of Obendorf in the heart of the Austrian Alps. Apparently, mice had done some inopportune chewing on the organ, and there was no way an organ builder could get to the to fix the instrument for services that evening. If there was to be music at the Christmas Eve service, something else would have to be done. So Father Moore went to visit his good friend Franz, the music director for the parish. Father Moore explained his dilemma and gave him a poem he had written some two years before based on the message of the angels in Luke's gospel. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In no time, Franz put the poem to music that the two of them could quickly teach to the choir and sing with guitar at the service that evening. 
Together they wrote what came to be one of the best-known and best-loved Christmas carols, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, All is Bright. The context in which Moore lived and served, however, was not that calm, nor was Twelve years of war had devastated the country's political and social infrastructure. The eruption of Mount Tambora killed thousands of people, and volcanic ash in the atmosphere caused continuous snow in the summer. Crops failed, and there was widespread famine. Father Moore's congregation was poverty-stricken, hungry, and traumatized. So the priest wrote a message hope and some kind of peace, that there was still a God who cared. Silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. How we picture the birth of our Lord, a peaceful, serene setting. That's how some of the carols sing of this holy birth, with the brightness of the star, the song of the angels, and the visit of the shepherds. Is Martin's other beloved carol, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, oh, yeah, no crying he makes. We can almost picture the serenity of that thing like we do the nativity set in the living room. All is calm, all is bright, dot, dot, dot. But suddenly, we are awakened from our peaceful daydream by a healthy dose of reality. We sing, all is calm, all is bright, but in reality, all is not as we would like it to be in this world, in our communities, in our homes, and perhaps even in our hearts. What does Paul have to say about that? In our epistle lesson from Romans, Paul reminds us of two of the most precious gifts we receive from God, hope and peace. Today's culture says that Christmas is all about what we buy and wrap and give to one another. But these gifts Paul is referring to cannot be bought nor made. Instead, Paul summarizes what life in Christ is all about, as described in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope, then, is a gift of our good and gracious This hope Paul writes about is not wishful thinking, nor is it a Pollyannish denial of the pain, injustice, and suffering in the world. Instead, hope is more like and trust, and the source for hope is God. The members of the Christian movement Paul wrote to in Rome had every reason not to hope. According to one the early Roman church was organized into small groups on the basis of race, social class, or proximity, and they came together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But they had their disagreements. Imagine, even celebrating the sacrament caused conflict and divisiveness. So Paul wrote to encourage the Romans to be hopeful, 
and to be careful of the different needs and concerns of others. Paul urged them to practice mutual congregational care, to care for one another. It's consistent with the purpose of the scriptures to encourage Christians to love one another with God as the source and comfort. In the first few verses of chapter 15, Paul urged the strong to put aside personal preferences in order to empower the weak, pointing to the example of Christ. In Eugene Peterson's The Message, we read, May our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. Then we'll be a choir, not only our voices, but our very lives singing in harmony in a stunning anthem to the God and Father of our Master Jesus. So reach out and welcome one another to God's... Jesus did it. Now you do it. Verses 5 through 7. Well, Paul says that the best way to do that is to let the Bible be a guide for our lives. In our we find four passages from the Old Testament explaining that it was God's enduring design to be inclusive of others. This was a practical lesson in the Roman congregation because Christians were having problems with those whose background was different. The Roman church was a diverse community. It was made up of Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, rich and poor, strong. And it was difficult for them to accept one another. All was not calm and all was not bright. And I think this is where the theological rubber meets the road. Are you and I living in harmony? Are we? Is Paul's instruction relevant for us today? Do we experience the very peace of Christ in the church, with one another, and in our very selves? Recently, a panel of medical experts recommended for the first time all adult patients under 65 for anxiety, based on guidance that points to the extraordinary stress levels that have plagued the United States since the start of the pandemic. The advisory group called the U.S. Preventive Service said the guidance was intended to help prevent mental health disorders from going undetected and untreated for years or even decades. It made a similar recommendation for children and teenagers earlier this year. Americans have been reporting greater anxiety levels in response to a combination of stressors, including inflation, crime rates, fear of illness, and loss of loved ones from COVID-19. All and all is not bright, according to Dr. Piebert, who said, it's a crisis in this country our only hope is that our recommendations throw a spotlight on the need to create greater access to mental health care. End quote. Sometimes we have to disturb the peace 
in order to obtain a measure of peace. When nearly one in three teenagers, 18, will experience some type of anxiety disorder, according to the National Institute of Health, all is not calm and all is not bright. Friends, that is not okay. We have to say something and we have to something. In my work as a chaplain and pastor, I have learned that sometimes even in peaceful places are not that peaceful underneath the surface. It's also true that sometimes chaotic places can be peaceful underneath the surface. A few years ago, I served on a certification committee that interviewed candidates for certification as board-certified chaplains. One of the candidates we interviewed was a trauma chaplain who had been raised by an alcoholic mom and was abused as a child by her uncle. The presenter on the committee that day asked the candidate, Chaplain, can you understand why you feel called to serve in a trauma unit, ministering with patients and families who may be experiencing the worst days of their lives? The chaplain replied, Yes, I can help you understand that. I know what it's like, and I can be an incarnational presence with those who are suffering. Because now I have peace, she said. Now I have peace. And she really did. She enacted the very peace of life. Friends, where are those places, and who are those people crying out for hope Peace, reconciliation, and hope. How do we, as people of faith, draw the circle wider with no one standing alone, standing side by side, drawing the circle wide? Are we able and are we willing to have honest and open conversations about real and practical ways to address injustices in our communities, in our churches, and in our lives. Sometimes the peace we imagine is not really peace. How many families are dealing with a family member who abuses alcohol but look the other way? Just a river in Egypt. What about the relationships that are based on keeping the peace for the sake of not rocking the boat? I know, I know, we don't want to disturb the peace. But that's not what Paul is talking about. Sometimes we have to say something. Sometimes we have to fight for something. Some pieces are not really peaceful. In Philippians chapter 4, we have a wonderful promise. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it's important to note this promise. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul encourages us again, instead of worrying, pray. Let God know your concerns, and God's peace will calm you down. 
to most, it will remain a mystery how someone can be so serene in the midst of turmoil, like the trauma chaplain we interviewed that day. The world's peace depends on having favorable circumstances. If things are going well, then we feel peaceful. Dry, the peace quickly dissipates. The kind of peace Paul is talking about is the peace of God, which means that it reflects who God is. This peace gives you quietness or reassurance in your heart that God's got this, God's got you, and God is faithful. God is never anxious over any situation. And when you experience Christ, God is sharing that part of God's character with you. It's a gift, of course. If we let our minds wander, we can almost picture the first Christmas morning activity set in the living room. All is calm. All is bright. But suddenly we are awakened from our peaceful daydream by a healthy dose of reality. A donkey brays. The baby awakes with a Mary's back hurts and she's tired and Joseph Joseph is still stewing because there was no room in the inn if you look closer the nativity scene is not as bright as you notice that one of the sheep is missing a leg and the wise man's head is glued onto the rest of his body when I was growing up my brother lost the original baby Jesus from the nativity scene because he thought Jesus needed to frequently. So now in my mom and dad's manger, baby Jesus is plastic and doesn't look like he fits in. Oh, we love to imagine a calm and peaceful picture of Christmas, then and now. We sing all is calm, all is bright. But in reality, it's not all the time. But once in a while, we get it right. Once in a while, we get glimpses of what Paul is talking about. We welcome those who are different from us, as we have been welcomed by Jesus. With God's grace, we can find ways to live in harmony with one another, and that we will be enabled to find to imitate God's encouragement and steadfastness with us and through us. When the European nations were ending the fifth month of the Great War, the air smelled of death and despair. Battles had morphed into trench warfare, and no army seemed to have an advantage. But on December 24, 1914, everything changed. Soldiers on both sides seemed overwhelmed with thoughts and what the birth of Jesus meant for them as individuals and as nations. They longed, even for a moment, to escape the horrors of war, and local truces broke out spontaneously. Soldiers began lighting candles, making an unforgettable memory as lights illumined a world that seemed so hopeless. One soldier later wrote, At darkness we marched forward to the trenches. All was calm. No shooting little snow. We placed our Christmas tree in our dugout. 
We put a second lighted tree on the bridge. Then we began to sing. The thoughts of the soldiers turned toward Jesus. Years later, one soldier commented, I will never forget the Christmas Eve of 1914. It was one of the highlights in my life. The power of Christmas was so strong that the enemies laid down their arms. Friends, there isn't a human being alive on this planet acquainted with troubles. Everyone, everyone you and I will meet today is dealing with something that is hard, something they are worried about. Everyone. Hope some may be especially difficult during the holidays. Times of difficulty arrive unexpectedly. Some remain indefinitely. Today, you may be experiencing dis-ease and turmoil. But God sent his son to be the prince of peace for you right now. Even in the midst of suffering, God will never leave you. Thank you. Like the fundamental message of the beloved carol, Silent Night, God's peace reminds us of a universal sense of grace that unites people across cultures and faith. The good news of the gospel speaks of hope in hard times and a beauty that arises from pain. It offers comfort and peace in a broken and hurting world, even as we look forward that there will be a day with no more suffering, no more tears, no more pain, and no more fears. Till that day, people of faith, let's reach out and welcome one another. Glory. Jesus did it. Now let's do it. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.